Um, I got called into the office of a, one of my clients as a chief marketing officer of a $4 billion food company. And the reason for the meeting was to really dress me down about a recommendation that I had made that, that hadn't worked. And so he's like, hey, you, you recommended that we do X. Uh, we did it. It didn't work. We lost a bunch of money. And you should feel really bad about yourself. That, that's not what he said, but that's how I felt about it. And Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What is going on, Men of Abundance? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast, the Pay It Forward community, proving to you that you can, in fact, live a life of abundance and prosperity in family, faith, finances, and fitness. I just cannot wait to introduce you to our featured guest today, but before I do, you know I want to give you the opportunity to be abundant in your actions today by paying it forward and sharing Men of Abundance with everyone in your community, and I do mean everyone. Take a screenshot of your phone, share that on Instagram, share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter, hashtag MOA, hashtag Men of Abundance. And if you really want to take it to the next step, if you're getting something out of these conversations, then share that with me. Share it on iTunes or share it even on your favorite podcast player, whichever one you're listening to this on. Leave a rating and review so that others can find it. But I love reading those because it gives me feedback on what I'm doing and maybe I can make some adjustments here and there if I care to. I mean, after all, it is my show, but it's for you. It's for you so that you too can figure out how to live your life of abundance, whatever that means to you. And for those of you out there who are business owners, make sure you get subscribed to the Business Owner Growth Podcast. New episode drops tomorrow. Be sure to subscribe to the Business Owner Growth Podcast to ensure you get every single episode. I got some bombshells coming down and I am going to be interviewing some amazing business owners for that show. Originally, I didn't plan on doing interviews, but it, I just can't get away from it. I absolutely have to share these stories with you on the Business Owner Growth Podcast to help you in your business. Today's featured guest is Eddie Yoon. He has been a growth strategy expert for at least 20 years as a partner with the Cambridge Group. In the last five years, he has helped double numerous businesses, cable media company, food brand, beverage company, pet food brand, consumer robotics, just to name a few. He has helped grow these companies from several hundred million to close to a billion dollars. Eddie is the author of the acclaimed book, Super Consumers a simple, speedy, and sustainable path to superior growth. He has also written over 40 articles and publications like Harvard Business Review magazine. Eddie has been a keynote speaker in the U.S., Africa, Australia, Denmark, U.K., and Japan, and is now focused on helping business owners drive growth while maintaining a healthy balance between work and personal life, which may have something to do with the fact that his daughter wrote a book about him that really opened his eyes. I'm not sure. We'll see. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Eddie Yoon. Eddie, welcome to Men of Abundance, brother. How are you doing? I'm great, Wally. Thanks for having me. 
Oh, it's my pleasure, man. As I was talking pre-show, it's uh, Interview Valet really sends me some amazing guests. They introduced me to you, to you, uh, and your daughter's amazing book. That was that was very amazing the way they sent that over. Was that part of your idea? No, no, no. It, Tom Schwab, uh, his brilliant idea to send it with the balloon, and so all credit to him. So, oh my goodness, Tom is just amazing. Tom and Karen, the whole team over at Interview Valet, is just absolutely amazing. And guys, listening, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, I get this box. Uh, I forget who dropped it off, Amazon or USPS or somebody. And uh, the box opens up. And as I open the box up, this yellow balloon comes floating out. And it was just the most amazing thing. And it was attached to Eddie's daughter's book, which I read in just a couple of minutes, then promptly gave it to my son, which is around here somewhere. <laughs> so it's just beautiful. It was absolutely a great introduction to you. Uh, and uh, I just absolutely love the whole process. I love working with them anyway. What's been your experience working with them, Eddie? Oh, it's been great. So um, they were pretty instrumental for me um, in my career change. So I, I was a, I've been a career growth strategy consultant, and I was a senior partner at the Cambridge Group for 18 years. And about two years ago, I went out on my own. Mm -hmm. And as part of that, um, you know, Tom and the Interview Valley folks were really helpful for me to uh, make the leap. I had a book that I had written with the Harvard Business Review, and they had got me, you know, a bunch of exposure on different podcasts and you know, quality shows like yours and whatnot. And that was really a big boost for me to feel confident to, you know, kind of hang up my own shingle and do what I do now. Well, good for you. That's a great story, man. And and where are you at in the world right now? I am on the Big Island, actually, of Hawaii. So, oh, yeah, I was a. Uh, Born and raised on Oahu, uh, I went out to school in Chicago, met my wife, and sort of working there. So we're not leaving anytime soon because our, our kids are in school there. But um, we've, uh, since I've especially gone out on my own, I've been able to kind of, uh, you know, define work-life balance how I want. So mm -hmm. we're trying to spend summers down here is what we're doing. No, yeah, great. My family and I had the opportunity to live in on Oahu for about 10 years. Yeah. And, um, man, we made it over to the Big Island. The first time we did, we seriously considered moving to the Big Island. And we just decided logistically, I mean, you think about country living. That's country living on steroids. I mean, yep. seriously, it's you really got to have your stuff together logistically to live on the Big Island. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Hopefully no medical emergencies because then you have to get on a plane to Oahu or whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we were even looking at things like the cars, you know, certain car parts. If you have an older car, it's going to be hard to get over there. Um, well, everything's already more expensive because of delivery to, you know, Hawaii in general. But, yeah. you know, we were dealing with that. That's no big deal. In fact, cost of living for housing anyway was a little bit lower, a lot lower on the big island. Yep, that's but true. Then you got all the zones for the insurance. And we were just like, no, we're good. We're, we'll just – uh continue with what we're doing but we ended up moving to florida so we we enjoyed it here too yeah, yeah awesome. and i gotta tell you the other thing that really intrigued me about connecting with you specifically in our with our connection in hawaii is your your uh your website and basically it's it's entitled eddie would grow and immediately <laughs> i thought eddie it. would go and i just knew it and i looked it up and i was like yep sure enough that's that's it so I, I dig that you – we're going to get more into that here in just a minute, um, but that was very intriguing, and I just knew we'd connect real, real easy. Absolutely. Awesome. So I like to start out with an attitude of gratitude, brother. What do you have to be grateful for today other than currently being on the Big Island? <laughs> That's a lot of it. So, <laughs> I know. Yeah. You know, it's – it's. Um, I, I feel grateful that, um, 
you know, much of my career has been about being a good student of consumers so that you can identify opportunities for businesses. And one of the things that I've kind of been recently been turning on uh, to through a counselor was, how do I be a good student of my family and friends and kind of understanding what it is that makes them tick, what, you know, what turns them on, what turns them off. And I think realizing that some of the skills that I've built over a career that have been very helpful for me are actually even more valuable on a personal level um, in, in ways that I, I don't think I really fully understood that I needed. Uh, I think that's been a real treat for me to be uh, kind of turn my vocation into uh, kind of a, a personal mission from a family standpoint. So that's been something I've been grateful for. That's absolutely amazing. It's very similar to part of my story as well. And just being so, oh my goodness, just obsessed, you know, with my personal, with my professional career in the army and then on the side business, because I've always been intrigued with business, business yep. strategy, human nature, human strategy. And I just spent so much time in that category and didn't spend a whole lot of time on my own personal family strategy, if you would. Uh, which is where all this abundance mindset and this abundance journey came from. So I'm glad that that got us connected for sure. Absolutely. And I'm glad you figured that out as well. Well, I'm still learning. So hopefully. Oh, aren't we all? We have, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. Uh, again, why I like to have these conversations a couple times a week to uh, help me learn even more. Absolutely. So how would you describe yourself, Eddie? Yeah, um, I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, Career-wise, I'm, I'm a guy that helps people, companies grow. So uh, for the better part of my career, I spent you know, largely Fortune 500 companies helping them grow their businesses, any kind of consumer-facing business. And then in the last few years, it's been helping entrepreneurs uh, grow their businesses. And so kind of taking the same skill set that I have, but uh, kind of up-and-coming companies. And that's been very fulfilling. And, and, I, and I think trying to figure out um, you know, what was intriguing to me, Wally, about your show, and just even the, the theme of abundance is that's largely some of the underlying principles of what I have done at work is that if you have kind of a abundant mindset, then you have different growth strategy that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. If you have a zero sum mindset, then which I, I find that nine out of 10 executives that I work with have that mindset, then um, there's a very different type of way to grow. That's actually not very sustainable in that at some level, what I've been, uh, you know, probably a lifelong student, maybe the short answer to your question, because like I, I've been, blessed to see how different companies have grown over the years, but um, recognizing kind of slowly but surely the underlying principles underneath each of that, of which, you know, abundance is one, generosity is another, the ability to kind of grow the pie versus split the pie. These are all kind of fundamental ideas that have been true throughout all of my clients that have su successfully grown their businesses, but also I think true of kind of life in general. And that's been kind of a, a neat exploration for me. Oh, absolutely. When you can grow, grow both your grow bro, both professionally in your business and personally, I mean, to me, that's success. That's when you start getting to, into to significance. Now, I was watching a video of you and you mentioned something that's right in line with what I uh, talk about and specifically with being having an abundance mindset is you can grow your business without taking from your competitors down the street. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I 100% agree. Yeah, no, it's it's been kind of fascinating. Um, and, and some of it, I, I would say, I've just kind of stumbled into. So I, I had the good fortune of 
working with companies that were market leaders. So uh, you think about like uh, over my career, Anheuser-Busch in the U.S., you know, one out of every two beers was one of theirs or Gillette, you know, 70 percent uh, global market share of men's shaving or even, um, you know, one of my favorite was a company called Insincorator. Uh, garbage disposals, they have like a 90, 95 percent market share in the U.S., which is pretty amazing. Yeah. And when you have that kind of leadership, um, it's really hard to grow by stealing from competitors, right? Because there just aren't that much mm-hmm. left. And so you really have to figure out, how do I, in fact, make the category uh, bigger? And there's kind of one of three levers. It's you can bring new consumers into the category. Um, you can get them to buy more units per person, or you can raise the price per unit. And kind of like that, the algebra of category growth became like, oh, this is a lot simpler to think about, not easy to execute, but simpler to think about than people realize. And then um, the consulting firm that I was at was acquired by Nielsen, the global consumer data company, uh, nine years ago. And I got access to all this data. And kind of what I found was interesting was that um, companies that were actually able to grow the category, um, so take like yogurt as an example, um, has that category has more than doubled in the last 10 years. And what they end up finding is that the market leader who is able to grow the category captures 80% of the upside. So effectively, 1% of the brands capture 80% of the category growth. And so I I just started to kind of realize that there's this common pattern that most companies that I run into, they're trying to grow the wrong way because taking incremental market share points from somebody is really, really hard. And that it's actually kind of fixates you on the wrong things because it makes you think about how do I copy a competitor's product? How do I undercut their pricing? You know, just things that aren't really helpful to anybody but yourself versus an abundant mindset of, well, how do I make the pie bigger for everybody? Then that causes you to innovate and run your business in a very different way of like, how do I create new stuff that makes people who didn't want to enter the category come into the category? How do I get people to actually want to consume the category more or what needs to be true for somebody to pay twice the price that they normally pay, which sounds kind of outrageous. But Mm -hmm. if you actually think about like, well, what would I need to give you benefit wise for that to be true? Then you come up with a different mindset that actually is a nice win-win for everybody. Yeah. So let's back up just a little bit because I'm totally geeking out on all this stuff right now, man. And I'm, I can tell you right now, guys, that this uh, conversation might take a different route than what you're used to just because I'm really geeking out on Eddie's content. And I'm really I'm, I've already done the research and I really enjoy it. So category, uh, that's something that's a little bit different. I don't hear most people talking about as opposed to branding and get away from the branding idea and really decide what category you're in or create a category. Let's uh, expand on that a little bit, because what I'm thinking of right now real quick is, as you say, you know, the abundance mindset and charging more. I'm thinking of Starbucks. Now, Starbucks took a a thing that you could a a cup of coffee you could normally pay prior to that 50 cents a cup for at anywhere else, maybe a dollar. And now you start seeing all these you start seeing people pulling trailers behind their truck and parking somewhere and and you know, selling coffee for five bucks a, a, a cup, a large cup. So that's an idea of that. Am I way offline on that? No, you, you've totally got it right there. And and what, what I love about it is that coffee is a category that has been reinvented or created anew several times. And and that, that's actually very helpful, Wally, because what I often tell people is that you don't have to, you know, create a new element on the periodic table. Like it's not like, you know, 
I've totally discovered a new category that never existed before. What, what I talk about a category and creating a new category is when you've created maybe an old version of something new, or I'm sorry, a new version of something old, where it's a breakthrough innovation on the product itself coupled with a breakthrough innovation on the business model. And Starbucks is a great example. It's coffee existed before Starbucks, but um, it's a totally different experience because you can customize it how you want. And the business model is such that um, they make money on coffee for sure, but they sell a whole heck of a lot more milk than they actually do coffee. And no one thinks about coffee as a milk company versus a coffee company. And the second part is if those of your listeners that have a Starbucks app, uh, I don't know if people realize that Starbucks is actually a good sized regional bank that they have at any given time a billion dollars of cash loaded on the app. That is an interest-free loan that we as consumers give to them. And, you know, no one really thinks about them as a financial services company. And that's kind of the brilliance of the power of what they've, what they built. And I, I, that's kind of what I think about is that, um, doesn't have to be completely brand new, but when you've created an experience, um, that is so different that, you know what? If I couldn't get a Starbucks, I don't really have a backup option. Like that's the kind of idea of non-substitutability. That's what I'm really getting at. And that's the, it's almost like a higher bar for running a business that if you actually uh, reach for the stars in that regard, that you'll get much farther than, hey, how do I just take, you know, uh, uh, Wally's business and get, make it part of mine? Because that, that's just kind of a lose-lose in the long run. Right. Yeah, yeah. That, um, wow, it's just brilliant. And I love the whole idea behind it because it really is a, a win-win. You can create an entirely different category. What are some other industries that you'd be able to do this with? Well, I mean, it's a great question because I've been struggling to find an industry that you can't do it with because, you know, so you take like uh, robotic vacuum cleaners as an example, right? So everybody, um, you know, at some point or time has to vacuum. A lot of people have vacuums. How would something like a Roomba actually be necessary, especially when it costs several times more, uh, hundreds of dollars in a, in a regular vacuum? And, you know, the, the idea being something as mundane and actually as unpleasant to think about as vacuuming, there's been a new category there because, you know, what the Roomba does is that it allows you to vacuum uh, multiple times per week and, or even daily, which is kind of a different thought. So there are people who... Uh, their standard of cleanliness is not that high. That might be one of those people. And, you know, that's good enough if I do a quick vacuum every now and then. But uh, my wife is someone who is a vacuum super consumer. We have eight vacuums, actually, of all different types and sizes because she likes them. Just like a golfer doesn't have one golf club. She likes vacuums and the like. And that uh, the Roomba, what it does is the people who are vacuum and cleaning super consumers, uh, what they believe is that the world is not clean and dirty. It is just all varying levels of dirtiness and that you never actually get the cleanliness at any point, but you try. And that what the Roomba does, it allows you to vacuum daily, uh, maintains the cleanliness that you have a little bit longer. And that's just a different way of thinking about the category. And one, one of the things that I've talked about is that, you know, uh, we brush our teeth daily. Uh, we, you know, we take a bath or shower daily. Why don't we vacuum daily? And that's the kind of mindset that they're creating that I, I suspect in 10, 20 years, that'll be kind of the norm is like, well, there was a time when people didn't vacuum a day, every day. That's kind of weird and stuff. And so that's kind of the, the course of innovation and this idea of creating a new category is at the end of the day, it's really about how do I make people's lives 
exponentially better and unlock the desires of their heart that they, maybe they didn't really fully know that they had, but through uh, some real breakthrough innovation and different kind of growth strategy, you can figure out how to get there. Yeah, again, <laughs> I'm kind of chuckling to myself as you say that about the vacuuming daily. And it's brilliant that they that they came up with that because my wife is the one that's quite frankly, we got to vacuum every day. Every day you got to vacuum. Somebody's got to vacuum. And so we keep talking about getting a Roomba or one of those robotic uh, things so we don't yeah. have to do it. And I guarantee you if we get the robotic vacuum, we're still going to be vacuuming every day. Absolutely. <laughs> um, because it's not going to hit every spot, that's for sure. Um, I'm absolutely positive of that. Just because of the way the house is built, uh, you know, I'm like, how in the heck would it get over there? So, yeah, we'll definitely have to do that. Well, one of the one of the questions I like to ask, and one of the com conversations I like to get into is the kick in the gut moment, Eddie, and that is because anybody who's doing anything or not, you have kick in the gut moments, and some of us come through it uh, with you know shining stars, and some of us don't, and there's others in between. But if you would. Share with us one of those kick in the gut moments and really make us feel that. Yeah, I, I had um, th there's there's actually uh, a bunch to choose from, <laughs> so, so I have three that come to mind. Uh, the first one is early on in my career, about a third of the way through, um, I got called into the office of a, one of my clients as a chief marketing officer of a four billion dollar food company, and the reason for the meeting was to really dress me down about a recommendation that I had made that, that hadn't worked. And so he's like, Hey, you, you recommended that we do X. Uh, we did it. It didn't work. We lost a bunch of money and you should feel really bad about yourself. That, that's not what he said, but that's how I felt. About it. And I was um, early enough in my career where I, it really kind of threw me for a loop. I was like, man, does what I do really add any value? Um, we took fees from this client and it didn't work. And it caused me to kind of reflect back on my career. So I went back through every project that I ever had and I started the journal. And that's one of the things that I've really kind of taken away is that journaling um, your career in particular is so valuable. Because I, I went through literally every project that I ever did. And I try to figure out, um, did I recommend something that worked? Um, did they learn something? Uh, did they actually get a result that was 10 times greater than what we had charged them as a firm? And what I realized was that at the highest standard of they, they learned something, they did something, and they got a, a 10x return, that was about a third of the time. And if I was playing baseball, that's pretty good. But I wasn't feeling great about it from a consulting standpoint. Mm -hmm. And I really kind of figured out what is it that actually were the common themes through those uh times that, that it didn't work and how do I kind of make that the norm versus the exception and that's one of those gut punch moments that I really felt like drove me to a level of a, a personal standard of excellence that I don't think that um, uh, not everyone th that I uh, that I knew in the field had. Uh, the second one was um, my wife and I, we had two kids at the time, we we're debating having a, a third kid and I was up for partner and I was like, well, I really kind of want to do this and she was like, I don't think that's a good idea. It's going to be hard on the marriage and harder as a dad. And and partly um, I felt like there was this kind of choice that I had to make about my career versus my family. And what I realized was, you know what, um, if I, there is a way out where you can have both, but I couldn't just be quote, a run of the mill, you know, partner like that. That's kind of the pinnacle of my career profession. But what I really needed to be was somebody who, could set the price. I was. I would be so expert in my chosen field that I could kind of dictate the terms in which I could or didn't want to work. And that was a big kind of like 
in order for me to be a good husband, a good father, and a, have a career, I needed to actually achieve a little bit level of a higher goal that, that I had there. So that kind of moved it up. And then the third one was, you alluded to it, um, when my, my middle daughter wrote her book, um, so it was a sixth grade English project, and her English teacher emails us and was like, hey, your daughter Audrey wrote this book, really quite something. I think you ought to look at publishing it, and I'm reading it, and it's about a workaholic dad who nearly loses his family. Uh, and I was like, okay, is this about me? <laughs> and she denies it, of course. Um, uh, but then, you know, what was interesting when I shared it with other people, they were like, well, they always ask, is she writing about you? And I'm like, well, she says no. But the question always becomes, well, it could be about me. And I think, thankfully, I had left my job as a partner the year prior. So I, at least I have some plausible deniability that I had made some choices before that. But again, kind of all along the way, I was kind of, I felt like each of these gut punches, I, I felt like I was at a crossroads of, do I kind of settle and give in or do I kind of try to find the third way that didn't exist yet? And I think they've all been painful experiences, but have made me um, really rethink, well, how do I, as we talked about, create a new way or a new category of doing my career such that I can have my cake and eat it too. And I, I think that's kind of that abundance mindset that you talk about there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all about that. I always get these either or questions. I'm like, why not both? You know, and speaking of that, here's a question for you because being in the business strategy industry and, and doing this kind of stuff, profit or grow or both? What's yeah. your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, really, really good question. Um, to, to, I, I'm with you. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Now, mm -hmm. sequence matters, right? And so right. Um, now one of the things that, um, you know, this this one, there's actually more than one way to skin the cat, is that I, I think depending upon, um, you know, uh, how you want to run your business and, and kind of, I, I think if I, one of my friends, Christopher Lockett, uh, wrote a great book called Play Bigger, and he, he distinguishes between capital E entrepreneurs, like you're trying to create the next Facebook or Google, versus lowercase e entrepreneur, where you're trying to be a solopreneur, which is what I am now, like you, you know, um, and I think if you're a solopreneur, I think it's really important that profit comes first in that, you know what, um, you're not trying to take on the world. You're just trying to, you know, redefine your career. I, I talk about it as a personal IPO, right, where I have my career, but I've kind of maximized the full value of what I do um, in my on my own terms. And, you know, my consulting business right now, um, I have no fixed cost. All of my you know, I work with contractors, they're all variable costs. And I've ensured that no matter what my revenue is, that my profit potential, as it were, is always going to be there. Now, if you're a capital E entrepreneur, and you are actually trying to change the world, there might be a situation in which you kind of have to go profit negative And, you know, uh, for the sake of trying to build something that's pretty amazing, or a new category that's out there. And hopefully you have enough capital and the right strategies to build that out. But those are the kind of distinctions. But I, I agree with you that it, it is both and, but depending upon your capital E or lowercase e, uh, sequence might be different. Yeah, I totally agree. I've, I've got my son and his friend out here and my dog losing his mind. So here's some barking. So, uh, yeah, I told I, I that is a great way to put that. Uh, I had never really considered the capital E or the lower KC, and it makes perfect sense because I, I too, am a solopreneur. And 
quite frankly, I don't want to grow beyond what I'm willing to do because I'm, I'm, I'm still living the Aloha Friday yes. style, <laughs> lifestyle, you know, and, and, and I only work with select people. I don't want too much grief in my life and I'm not going to invite, I'm going to get enough without inviting it into my, into my own life. Right. But then, you know, and it, it really kind of reminds me of the, um, it's a fable or a story or something I've heard. It's written, it's in, um, the Prosperous Coach, I think, is the book that I've read. And I heard it even before that. But if you reference it, guys, there's a story about the American businessman walking on the beach. And he runs into a, a local guy who's pulling his boat in with a load of fish. And the American businessman says, what are you doing? So I just got done fishing. I'm going to go sell some of it. And I'm going to hang out with my buddies on the beach. And then later on tonight, I'm going to have dinner with my wife under the stars. He goes, man, you should expand. You should grow. And the bottom line is the American businessman wants him to grow and have a fleet of boats and factories and all this stuff. And the guy's like, why would I do that? Well, so that someday you can enjoy your life on the beach and eat dinner with the stars. And it's like, no, dude, that's good for and, and that's fine. That's good for some people. But some of us are just happy helping enough people to live a good life ourselves. Absolutely. No, I, I, I totally resonate with that that story, that parable. And, and what is, what is kind of interesting is um, I think to your point, I, I, I'm the same way. So I, when I was a senior partner at the Cambridge group, I, I had anywhere from three to as many as nine clients at any one given time. And, you know, the way that consulting works, it's very much like a teaching hospital. There's a little bit of a bait and switch where the senior partner adds the most value, just like the chief of surgery adds the most value in a, mm-hmm. in a teaching hospital. But, you know, oftentimes when, you know, you're, you, let's say you go to a teaching hospital, famous one, you have a weird pain, you're kind of scared and you meet the, te- uh, the chief of surgery and you're excited. And then you wake up, it's a first year med student standing over you after your procedure. You're like, that didn't feel, feel good. And so now to your point, like uh, I've kind of flipped the model where most of my uh, I only take on one or two clients at any given time, you know, just in the way that you're describing Wally, like I don't want to overextend myself. Um, but also part of the value proposition is um, it's senior partner attention. And I don't feel good about the old, kind of old school bait and switch anymore. Right. And mm-hmm. so that, and, and I think that this idea of, you know, having the faith to believe that the abundance will be there, um, you know, whether it's because you've you know put in the time and you built a track record over over the years, and or um, you continue to work on your craft, where regardless of how much you choose to monetize it at any given time, that your commitment to being the best at what you do in your lane is so ever present that you just you have you have the confidence and the belief that if you are you work on your craft and you continue to hone that that you know the opportunities will come and you don't have to chase everyone down and that's that's obviously easier said than done and something that i, I have to remind myself over time but that's exactly the mindset of you know i'm going to be the greatest fisherman that i can so that i don't have to worry about expanding and building boats just like the story that you told and stuff well yeah and it's also about living you know, creating your lifestyle so that you can live within your means. I mean, as a business and life strategist, I've I've put myself in the same category as say Tony Robbins, but I don't want to, I don't want to be Tony Robbins. I don't want to travel all the time. I do want to live on DG, but um, that's a whole different conversation. But, uh, you know, I had some good experiences with some guys from Fiji when I was in Egypt. But um, in any case, that just doesn't appeal to me at all. 
uh, you know, so that's perfect. So one of the things that I like to um, talk about here is, you know, how you're paying it forward. How, what are you doing to uh, make a difference in other people's lives? I personally believe that when you help a business grow and profit, then you're helping that individual, you're helping their family, you're helping all the employees and their families, and you're, you're you know, contributing to the economy of that community at least. Um, so that's huge in itself, but you've also written a, a book that I actually want to get my hands on. Uh, I'm supposed to have ordered it yet. Uh, Super Consumer, A Simple, Speedy, and Sustainable Path to Superior Growth. So where did all that come about? Where did the book come from, and how else are you contributing to uh, humanity? Yeah, it, it's it's really – what a great question. It, it, it's funny how um, the way that the consulting game works um, – it's kind of funny in that at a lot of firms, what they try to do is market a problem or a challenge. X, Y, Z is coming. Uh, recession is coming. You know, hyper competition is coming. And it's a little bit of a scare tactic of you better watch out. Oh, and by the way, we have the protection or the solution for that, right? right. Which we won't tell you about. And, um, and I think academia is the same way in that um, they have ideas and, a lot of the um, kind of you know ver, you know lingo and jargon that comes out is really meant to create distance between the smartest person and everybody else. Like we got to learn the language, and if you don't learn it, then you can't play at our level. And one of the things that, that the reason why I wrote my book was, you know what, um, consumers are tricky, but there's patterns there, and actually rather than just kind of hide these insights from the world and say, well, you got to pay me to you know, figure out what they are. Why don't I open source it? Because I actually think I will learn more from other people applying these theories than just kind of keeping it to myself. And so the, the, the super consumer theory is that, you know, you know, people know it as the 80, 20 rule, the Pareto principle, like in, you know, 20% of a cost uh, categories, customers generate 80% of the, the revenue or the profit. But what the overlay that I have is that when you combine both the economics and the emotion, that there's a subset of consumers that spend a lot, but they care a lot about a category. They're not just, um, you know, like like if I, if you have three teenage boys that you that you're caring for, you might spend a lot of money on sliced bread just to feed those boys, right? Because they're bottomless pits of eating. Yeah. You may not care about white, you know, sliced bread as a category, but you're just spending a lot because that's what the life stage dictates and stuff. So I think that nuance of I care deeply about it and I spend a lot is really quite important because what I found is that not only the most passionate and profitable people in the category um, are uh, economically important, they're strategically important because they're the most proactive to tell other people and they're the most prescient about what's coming next in the category. And so like one of the things that I always talk about is that um, whether it was craft beer or Keurig or um, you know, Greek yogurt, these are all categories that you could have seen coming if you had looked at what the super consumers in those categories were actually spending. Like if you could actually look at their receipts, you would have said, oh, this is obvious. This is going to be a big opportunity at some point down the road because they're the canary in the coal mine or the tip of the spear. And that, um, to your point about paying it forward, what I was like, you know what, um, 
these insights are kind of the same around the world. They're the same in every category. And not every, I don't get the chance to work with every company if I said you can't use these insights unless you, you know, pay consulting fees for it. Let me see if I can write all of these down and open source it and see what happens because I think I'll maximize my learning from it. And that, you know what, sometimes the devil is in the details of like, you might have the right idea, but some people still want help kind of executing the strategy in a way that it can be good for both of us there. And, and that's been kind of my, my goal is that if I continue to write and do podcasts and speak about these ideas and just say, Hey, these are the things that I've learned let me put them out there in the ether for people to, to take and try to apply them, then I'm going to learn back from them in a way that makes me um, even more helpful to other people with that. And so that's been kind of my mindset. And I, I think it's been kind of an interesting thing when I have people reach out to me and like, hey, can I work with you as a consultant? I'm like, hey, I'll give you my uninformed answer right now. It's bereft of facts, but I'll tell you what I think the answer is. And mm-hmm. if you still need help, that's great. But if you don't, then I'm happy to kind of say, you know, bless you and good luck to you on your way <laughs> there, because um, that's kind of one, one of the things that I found is that one of the best ways to be helpful is to be like a Costco sample is kind of what I call it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, a lot of people go to Costco just to eat the samples that are there. And yeah, there you go. And there's in my hand. You can't yeah, see good, it. Good, good. I, especially when I was in Hawaii, I was there by myself for about eight months. And I used to just go to Costco just to get my my lunch, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> I well, was walking around there. It was cool. But anyway. This, well, the strategy works because that's yeah. what I kind of believe is that if you, if you have something good that you think, um, A, it's good enough for people to want it again. And B, there's more of that where they came from. That's kind of how I treat my ideas and my consulting experiences. Like, I'll give away a sample, no problem, because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot more where that came from. And I think that people will find it to be pretty good. And uh, that kind of, that again, that abundance mentality, that spirit of generosity, I've, I've actually found to be really great business as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And in contrast to that, as you were talking about, what a lot of people do in our industry is they will tell the why, but they won't tell the how. Uh, and there's a lot of books out there that do that, quite frankly, as well. Whereas if you, you know, for instance, I've been reading and listening to Tony Robbins for years. And then I finally went to one of his events and it was, you know, $1,000 price tag for this event. And it was literally the same stuff I had heard him say on tape 15 years prior. But the whole experience of being there, I'll pay for it again and again. And again, because people really want the leadership and they want that personal connection, even though I was talking to a client and this one client says, you know, Wally, all the stuff you're sharing with me, I can go. Actually, he said, my brother told me that I can go find this a thousand other places on YouTube and this and the other. I said, actually, your brother's wrong. If you search it, you'll probably find about a million hits and you can find a million different ways and places to get the same information. But the strategy, the difference in working with me, and I'll say the same thing for you, I know for a fact is I'm going to look at your business and tell you which strategies you need to implement right away. And oh, by the way, show you the step-by-step on how to do it. You can get all the information, but you, do, you have, do you know how to put it together? You know, oh. but, you know and, and there's you know so many other ways to look at it, but ultimately it all comes down to the abundance mindset. Why am I having a conversation that I'm going to post with you who does some of the same stuff in a different way because I have an abundance mindset. I can't work with everybody. You can't work. I don't want to work with everybody. 
you know, even if I could, I, it just feels better to share the wealth and just to have these conversations and learn from you. Totally. No, and, and, and I think, I think that's kind of the key is that, um, you know, I, I never plan to retire because I just have so much fun learning and working and stuff. And, and I, I think the, 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 I mean, honestly, one of the things that really drove me to leave my old firm was, you know, the learning opportunity was just stagnant because mm -hmm. I was at the top and I, I really craved the ability to mentor other, be, be mentored by other people. And the thing that I realized was that, you know, when you have to kind of focus on running a business and this and that, then there's not enough time um, for be it mentoring or learning and that being out on my own, I get to pick who I collaborate with. I get to pick who I do these conversations with. And that just maximizes my learning opportunity. And that, I think that the idea of like the traditional mentorship in, within one organization just really wasn't available to me anymore. But uh, through the the beauty of podcasts, the beauty of, you know, uh, everything that's online and articles, like my ability to learn is infinite. And I think, as you said, like there's a different learning experience reading something, uh, listening to something, and then having an engaging relationship with something. It's totally different. They're Completely all, different. Um, and they're all valuable in a way that I think works really nicely together. So I, I'm, I'm totally with you on this. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, as you know, when you teach when you teach something, you literally get an opportunity yes. to master that skill. That's the only way in my mind to master a skill is to teach somebody how to do whatever it is that you want to master. Well, and I, I, I love that because it, it, what's funny is that um, I, I remember I, someone was describing something about uh, a specific academic field and I was asking about it and the, the person stopped and was like, I, I can't explain it to you because you won't understand it. And, and I was in, in my mind, I was like, you know, that's possibly true. Maybe I won't, I won't mm -hmm. get it, but it's also probably true that you haven't, if you can't explain a complex subject simply, then you haven't mastered it either. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> correct. You only know a subject to the extent that you can explain it to somebody else. Yeah. Period. That's brilliant. I absolutely love that. And I knew exactly where you was going when you said that. That's awesome. So, brother, we are at the point where we're going to pay it forward. You ready to do that, Eddie? Yep. Excellent. So share with our abundant leaders one to three actionable steps that they can take today. So uh, number one uh, is the journaling part. I, I, again, that, that kind of uh, – if you can start that practice of journaling – doesn't have to be hard copy. It can be an online journal. could be a, a Word document. doesn't really matter what it is. But um, without the gut punch moment that I went through that you were asking me about, Wally, like, I, I just think it's so valuable that you know we have probably forgotten uh, so many pearls of wisdom about your career, what you do, um, then you realize and that the only way to really crystallize that is to keep them in a journal and, and recognize it that way. And, and I think to this prior discussion about learning and really being able to master something, it's one thing to have gone through it. Uh, it's another thing to put it pen to paper and then to keep refining that skill. So that's kind of number one is that uh, journaling has been incredibly important for me personally, but also uh, professionally. And I, I think that's kind of uh, the point number one. Uh, point number two is as you see themes in your journaling, um, it, stuff that you're like, hey, you know what? This seems like um, an Isaac Newton-esque law of gravity thing in my field that it seems to be more true than not. And that's going to be the shortcut for kind of really uh, leapfrogging uh, where you want to go in your career. And because... 
I, I just find that when you when you come across these axioms in your field, that you know what, in general, I don't have to know exactly what's going on, but I can lean on this that more times than not, if I follow this uh, theory, as it were, like my super consumers theory, that a small percent of the people drive the lion's share of the profit, but they're the most passionate and they're the smartest people to learn from about what's next, then you're going to be fine. And that if when, when you have that, and then you get to the third part is always be preparing for what I call that personal IPO. So that when you, um, I, I've always found that, and I, I think what it makes me so happy to hear about your journey as a solopreneur, Wally, is that I just find that when you have people um, who haven't journaled, they don't realize what they don't, what the, the valuable pearls that they already have. And when they haven't kind of figured out their kind of theories for their career and their vocation, then they don't know how much value they actually have generated for other people. That working for one company uh, for one salary is actually vastly underestimating your true value to the world there. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, my, my hope is that more people do become these solopreneurs, uh, you know, with or without that gut punch moment of your daughter kind of writing, oh, you know, do I have a workaholic dad or not with it? But like that, those three steps, you journal, you figure out the kind of theories for success in your, your chosen career and apply those successes, uh, those theories into a situation where you can become, you know, whether it's a lowercase e entrepreneur or a capital e entrepreneur, uh, that personal IPO, it's so extraordinarily valuable because I, I think um, the ability to dictate how and with whom and when you want to work is so incrementally valuable. Like one of the things that I read, Wally, was that by the time you're 50, um, more than half of the employees or people who work that are that are 50 or above are going to be pushed out of their job or their career on, on terms not of their own choosing. Mm -hmm. And so I say, you know what, that's coming. You got to prepare for it and you lay the groundwork so that you make the choice and jump when you want to versus being pushed off. Uh, and that's that's the, the thing that I feel so passionate about is uh, getting started on that right now. Yeah, man, that is absolutely huge. And guys, you know, you hear me talk about journaling all the time, but Eddie just shared and really I'd learned a lot just from that conversation, just from what you just said, because that's a whole nother reason to journal, guys. You always hear me talking about journaling on a personal level and on a business level, but on a professional level, it takes me back to when I was an equal opportunity advisor and people used to come to me with, with uh, um, grievances and I would tell them, ask them if they have been keeping a record, in essence, journaling of the events that are going on so that you can have that because you're gonna be asked to chronologically share the events that occurred. But the importance of journaling in, in your professional life just makes so much sense because you're going to have a chronological um, record of events that occurred in case you get reprimanded or anything of that nature. But then it takes it to a whole nother level. You took it to a whole different level. When it gets to the point to where you feel it is time for you to transition, you're going to have that information and you're going to see trends that is going to be able to allow you to create your own category in that industry and go out on your own. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, I, I, I'm so glad to hear you talk about it. Um, that it's, it's a common theme because what, one of the things that I found is that um, uh, writing is a muscle and the more you do it, the better you get at it. And in, in many respects, the ability to write well um, is, is such value in my career, but I think in careers in general, and, and it, it's just one of those things that I think that the side benefit from journaling, it's almost like, um, 
you know, uh, you journal and, and you get to stay healthy at the same time too. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things that I think is really valuable. So yeah, it abso- absolutely is. And I talk about it often. I just never considered it from that regard. So thanks a lot for sharing that. It's really huge. What rituals make the biggest impact in your life other than journaling, obviously? Yeah, you know, it's, it's um, the other one that I found um, has been really quite helpful is I, I mentioned early on kind of being a good student of consumers and considering my family, but being a good student of myself has been quite helpful, both physically and emotionally and you know spiritually, just the things that keep me centered. And so like one of the things that's been super helpful for me is just getting better sleep. And, you know, for the better part of my career, um, you know, when I was traveling a ton and stuff, I, I got four to six hours of sleep and, and I, I'm not someone who can sleep in late. So I have to sleep in by going to bed earlier. And I tell you, like just going to bed earlier has just made such a difference in my life because I get more sleep. I don't eat late at night. So, you know, I'm not going to gain weight that way and stuff, but I, I don't know how to say other than um, getting, taking care of my sleep and my sleep hygiene has made such a big difference in, for me, such an exponential impact in my life. Um, and then the second thing is that, um, you know, just, and you know this having lived on Oahu, but like I'm a big uh, water guy. Uh, I can't always be in the ocean, but I, I'm constantly just looking for ways and opportunities to swim. So whether it's when I'm home and at a gym where I can get into the pool and just get in the water, that's great. Or I'll, when I travel, I'm very particular about picking hotels that have a pool even if it's out of the way, just because I, I know that'll just make me feel better. Mm-hmm. So sleeping and swimming, in addition to journaling, keep me centered. Yeah, absolutely, man. I like swimming as well. Uh, obviously, swam a lot when I was in Hawaii. We lived literally on the beach and was there almost every single day. Uh, and then now here, I'm at the pool just about every morning uh, yeah. getting my swim in. So I absolutely love it. What are you reading or listening to that you would recommend to our abundant leaders and why, of course, other than your book? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the thing that um, one thing that I, I really have enjoyed reading is uh, Ben Thompson of Stratechery. Um, he he writes. Uh, it's a subscription based uh, email service that he has. He's based out of Taiwan, but he writes about tech companies and um, and it, it's just really thoughtful. Like very a couple times a week, he sends out a note. Um, really thoughtful analysis of Google or Microsoft or Netflix and in just ways that I, I'm like. I'm professionally jealous. I'm like, I wish I could write that way and stuff. And so I always learn a lot from him. There's some guys out there. My mentor, for instance, Carl Bryan. I, I know he spends a lot of time on his little emails and blog posts and stuff, but they're just so hilarious and brilliant and so thought provoking. I'm just like, man, I'm like totally crushing on you and jealous, man, for real. <laughs> so I have a couple guys that I follow like that too. I just really wish I could, I could write like that. But in any case, I love consuming the content. Uh, what do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? Well, the thing that I feel like holds people back is uh, the underlying mentality that they have that they don't realize that they have. And so uh, there's people who will say, yeah, abundant mentality, I want to have that. But what they don't realize is what's what they really firmly believe is that the world is zero sum. Mm. And the example that I always give is that Everybody gives lip service to, you know, if you run a business-to-consumer business, that consumers are important. But they don't realize that it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to truly have empathy to walk in their shoes with it, um, whereas most people have a deep level of contempt for their consumers and that, hey, I can um, 
take quality out of my product, then no one will notice because I don't think consumers are actually mm. that smart. Or um, I, I can get away with X, Y, and Z. Um, or even when I do my marketing, it's like, you know what? I just don't think they're going to understand it. And I can pull a fast one on them. And so the thing that I think at a very deep level, what holds people back is they don't realize the, the level of fear that they fundamentally have in by their, both their business, but probably in life as well, that in order for me to win, you have to lose. Mm. And I, I think that's a really deep-rooted sentiment that has to be excised out before you can really have a, a mindset of abundance there. No, I totally agree with that. That is very profound that you said that. I 100% agree with that. So what does being a man of abundance mean to you? Yeah, I, I, I think that it, it comes back to, you know, when, when I talk about my growth strategy work, it's, you know what, the best way to do it, make the category bigger, make the pie bigger for everybody. Don't just grow your share of market, grow the market overall. So that's kind of you know, how I see it uh, from a work perspective. And I, I think the other one at a personal level is the idea of um, – uh, I, I had written uh, when Netflix had uh, a bunch of problems in 2011. They had raised their prices, and they were talking about separating their DVD business from uh, their streaming business, and the stock had tanked 80%. And I had written a bunch of articles about how I actually thought that them raising price was a good thing, and I got a lot of hate mail online for that. But you know, my, my basic premise was I think they're going to raise their prices so that they can buy better content because at the time their streaming content wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know they were going to create their own original content, but I think that idea of um, they raise prices so they can make the product better, that generosity loop has always been a very powerful growth strategy. And I think the idea that generosity at the root, you know, uh, the root word of it is generative. And I think the ability to create uh, or even genesis at the beginning, like that that same kind of uh, etymology of the language there of like when you are generous, it's because you are generative. And when you are generative, you have more to offer the world that, uh, in a way that maybe is offering something new to the world. And when you do those things, that your business is going to go well, but that every you know human being has the ability to be generative in a way that's unique to them. That That's kind of what I firmly believe. And I think until you believe that you are distinctive and you have something distinctive to offer to the world, then it's very hard to kind of break out of the uh, that zero-sum mindset that we talked about earlier. Man, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Brother, we are going to close this up. We are definitely going to have eddiewoodgrow.com linked up in the show notes and your book. We'll have a picture of it there, your amazing picture, everything linked up in the show notes. But before I uh, let you go, what did we not talk about that you want to ensure abundant leaders get out of our conversation today and any other ways that they can get more of you? Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, I, I think, uh, uh, this idea of gut punch, I, I, I keep thinking about that because it's such a visceral you know, image in my mind is my hope is that, um, you know, even if I can't send everyone the yellow balloon that you got, Wally, is that, you know, check out my daughter's book, not just because it's my daughter, but like it, I, I just think that anyone who's working and who has a family or have loved ones that work feels like it takes away from time with them. Um, to really digest that, uh, the narrative she's telling, and again, maybe we'll find out 20 years later from when she's seeing a counselor if this was really about me or not with it. But my hope is that people kind of say, you know what, um, that that whole kind of narrative that you told about the fishermen versus the American businessmen, like there's a choice that you can make right now to kind of live your best life. And, to, and again, I, 
totally agree. Live an abundant life. Um, and if you can do that, then, you know, maybe you don't have to go through the awkward questions of, did your daughter just write about a workaholic dad who almost lost his family and not be about you and stuff? Like, go through that vicariously through my daughter's mm-hmm. book uh, so that you don't have to go through it on your own. Yeah, absolutely. The book could be about any number of men that I personally know to include myself. Maybe even Eddie. I don't know. But um, <laughs> we'll, mm-hmm. we'll unpack that later. But it is a brilliant book. I definitely encourage you to get a hold of it. And Eddie, it's been a great conversation, man. Absolutely love it. Uh, enjoy your time out there in beautiful Aloha and uh, in, um, on the Big Island. And it's just been a pleasure. Go out, live your life of abundance. Keep paying it forward. And please, make sure your daughter keeps paying it forward, too. She's got more stories about you, you know. <laughs> I, I know. They're all going to come out at some point or another, right? So. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Wally. This has been great. I really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. My pleasure. All right, guys, here's your action step for today, and we're going to make this really fun. I think it would be a great idea, and I'm going to do this as well, to ask one of your youngest children or all of your children or somebody else, maybe a niece, a nephew, or somebody else. I just want it to be a child, somebody in your life that's young. Ask him or her to write a short story about you, about what it is that you do. How do you spend your day? And listen, if they're so young that they don't know how to write, then just record it on an audio. Record it, and then you write it yourself so that you can have that information and share that with us. I don't want any videos of children on the Facebook group. I just have a problem with that uh, because of things that have happened in my own life with my pictures of me and my child. So please refrain from any of those pictures. You can do that on your own page if you care to, but just don't put them in the group. Okay, I greatly appreciate that. Just put an audio and or write the text or take a picture of whatever it is that they write if they can write it for themselves. I think this is going to be really fun. That in itself, I feel, is going to be very eye-opening for many of us. And the really fun part is I would really love to hear some of those stories. If you're up to it, share those stories on our private Facebook group. You can either take a picture of the story and post it in there like that or retype it out or whatever you want to do, but somehow share that story or at least a synopsis of the story and share with us what you got out of that revelation, of out of that story that that child wrote about you and your day. If you're not already a member of the Men of Abundance Facebook group, then request access to the group. You can see it in the show notes or just search Men of Abundance on Facebook and you'll find the group and the page. You can like the page but also subscribe to the group. It used to just be for men but now I've opened it up to men and women since about 50% of the listeners of Men of Abundance are women and we really want that perspective from both sides. So go ahead and do that. I think it's going to be a blast. I look forward to seeing your stories. Now, go out and live your life of abundance and make sure to pay it forward.